Hi, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of the Bingham Group, and welcome to the BG Podcast. We have with us on the line today, uh, Bingham Group advisor, Jimmy Flanagan. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, So originally, we're, we were going to be talking about just redistricting and what it meant for council, council districts, but uh, this has been a very active news day um, for a Wednesday. This is recording this on September 22nd. We have... Um, the announcement of the state representative Celia Israel um, is exploring a run for Austin mayor, as well as the selection of interim police chief Joseph, jo- uh, Joseph Chacon as our permanent chief by city manager Spencer Cronk. You know, there, there's a lot of uh, change in the air, as it is. Yeah, and and also is uh, you know a nice cool uh, fall day for Austin, 25 <laughs> degrees. Yes. Yeah, let's talk no about the weather. Day. Actually, was, there was very much change in the air. So let, let's start. Let's start at the top with redistricting, with redistricting, and um, just and what's been going on with that. You know, I think uh, I think for those who don't know, our the set or the legislature came back in for the third session on Monday. But also, you know, there's been a a re- redistricting committee going on in the city of Austin for at least the last six months. But Jimmy, can you talk about that a little bit? Just what's going on with the with the council district yeah. council district redrawing or redrawing the lines. You know, this is only this. This is the first time the city of Austin is redistricting. When this process happened the first time around, it was just districting because there had there were no districts to compare them with. It was that's right. That's right. And and that process occurred in 2013, which was a which because that was after 10-1 passed. So it was happening separate from other legislative redistricting processes. So it was kind of in this bubble. Now we are seeing live and in real time, the comparison of a independent redistricting committee, which is how the city of Austin does it as directed by the voters and partisan hacks drawing maps with supercomputers (laughs) designed to pick their own damn voters. Yes. If, if anybody has seen the, the, I saw at least a demo map of the state Senate districts and Houston looked like a pinwheel. The way they were carving like these, these semicircles around clearly picking and choosing developments and, 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 and residential areas that was based on their partisan scoring. I mean, just bonkersville that, that, that any base of any political party would be satisfied with what is essentially a complete disenfranchising of, of the electorate. So fair enough. And as least Austin, right? So at least the maps that the our our you know our local committee has put out. I mean, what are you seeing there? Well, so this is another one of those things that's like every map is gonna look weird. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna look especially weird because Austin has this bad history of rapid annexation that happened under the old Mayor Watson, primarily under Mayor Watson, where just this this bizarre expansionism created much of District 6, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which is, we'll get to, we'll get to some of that in, uh, we'll, we'll in a bit. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think the independent redistricting committee's work is very challenging. They have a much shorter time frame in which to do it because of the Trump delays of the census, pandemic delays of the census, and, you know, I, I don't, I, I think whatever work they do is probably going to be serviceable. What you have in Austin is you, you, you have districts that are, that are going to grow a little bit geographically. You have districts that are going to shrink a little bit geographically, but there's not going to be 
in my in in my estimation, huge substantial upheaval in the nature of the electorates. Mm -hmm. One of the things I noticed in some articles I saw last in the last several days was just uh, you know noting the growth the growth specifically with the Asian American population. I know that was one of, one of the areas in, at least in, in your former district, you know, and also Jimmy was a former council member for District Six, Barton, of course, Austin. But is, what do you see in the demographic shifts? Well, compared to 2010, District Six it was the fastest growing district of the 10 districts in a city that was the fastest growing city over those 10 years, besides a crazy retirement community in Florida. So mm -hmm. that one accepting. Of all the MSAs, Austin was the fastest growing and District 6 was the fastest growing of it. And District 6 has the largest Asian community of any of the districts. So all of those data points really do tie together. Um, I think it's, um, you know, the, the, the demographics of the city would make one assume that we need a little more Asian representation on the dais. There's only been one person from that Jennifer community, Kim? Jennifer Kim. And that was... That was when I was in high school, I think. That was like late, was, late, late 90s, um, late, late 2000s, late, late 90s. No, no, no. That was too, it was, it was like 2006 to 2009. Okay. Or maybe 2004 to 2006, because Randy Shade was the person who ran against Kim and won. And I was a big fan of Randy Shade, who was the first openly LGBT person mm -hmm. to serve on the council. Uh, and, and so it's been some time. But it's it, been it's some been time. A while. And that was the first. She, I'm sorry, Jennifer was the first too. Jennifer was the first and only. First and only. Yeah. Interesting. So you know, uh, Pooja Seti had ran in this last election, but uh, beyond Pooja, it's also hard to find AAPI candidates. There, there just haven't been very many candidates to even win the elections. The same, frankly, is true for the LGBT community. You don't find too many candidates in every cycle, maybe, maybe one. I think I was, you know, me and Tina Cannon were the only ones in that 14 cycle. Bobby mm -hmm. Levinsky ran in uh, 2018, uh, but mm -hmm. I was the only one to win in the 10-1 era and yeah. the second overall from yeah. the LGBT community. So, so more to come on there. I think, yeah, just uh, ultimately, you know, that's that's developing. Um, so let's turn to the mayoral Austin, the 2022 mayoral talk. Uh, this morning, uh, Representative State Representative Sully Israel for, of Austin, uh, Democrat, announced uh, her exploratory committee, as well as um, that she would be running again, obviously, for pre-election. So this brings up, um, we're now up to five, including her, five folks running for, or at least in the, in the potential running for mayor, to replace Mayor Austin Mayor Steve Adler, who's termed out. And that includes former state senator and Austin Mayor's Kirk Watson, current councilwoman uh, Kathy Tobo, uh, former city council candidate Jennifer Reardon, and more the person I can't remember her name, but five folks in the race total. <laughs> I, I don't know who that last person is, but can't remember. I'll find her. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's been uh, a very hotly debated topic of conversation amongst. Um, I don't want to say insiders because I hear it from community members too. So it's really kind of like from the from the those who are paying attention. There's a lot of interest in the mayor's race, and uh, I was excited to see uh, Representative Israel. Uh, announced her exploratory committee today. I think she's been a, a fantastic um, and and a, a fantastic representative, but also someone who has represented parts of Austin from her legislative district, but also parts of Pflugerville. She understands kind of that regional approach. She understands what it means to represent more than one little corner of a city. 
uh, or to only have to speak to the voters of one little corner of a city. So, um, and then as a representative, of course, she she did a lot of really great work trying to find trying to find ways to get stuff done, trying to find ways to limit the damage from the right. Um, you know, but the mayor's job's a tough one. Yeah, and, and, and to remind folks who are new to Austin or at least turning in out, out of market, Austin is a you know they're at least the the mayor's role here is they're one of ten, one of sorry eleven votes on council. This is yeah, this it's, is, not, this, it's not like yeah, we're refreshing. Like this, is, this, is, this isn't Houston. Houston's the only city that's Houston's the only city in Texas with a strong mayor. Um, the mayor here is the chair, you know, the chair of the board, if you will, but the executive power rests with our city manager. Yeah, you know, the, the mayor's the mayor in Austin, that role gets far more blame than it deserves and far more attention than it has power. You you get you get more media coverage, and then that means you have more opportunity to influence necess, uh, you know, potentially the public. But because the media is now so fractured, who are you even influencing at this point when you go to the media? Because I, I can speak just as, as a former council member, I would have right-wing media completely misrepresent like the opposite jimmy said yes jimmy said no like so so as a mayor you're getting that you know dialed up to a hundred so it is a it is a challenging job when you don't actually have any independent power to do any work without the consent of your district colleagues and and spencer you know city manager cronk um also frankly gets a lot more blame than he deserves because he also has to answer to the council. He doesn't just answer to the mayor. Uh, and he's always been really smart about trying to balance the needs of the different council members. And I often have tried to explain to folks, whenever you see the city manager's office do something that makes you scratch your head, it often means that there wasn't consensus or even nearing consensus amongst the council, even if they're not saying so publicly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, and again, what's interesting about this race, too, is the fact that we had, I forgot what proposition it was, but, uh, you know, Austin mayoral elections going forward after this, 20, 20, 20, this 2022 cycle will be tied to the presidential elections, right? Uh -huh. So whoever wins, <laughs> we won't be reporting a video on this, Jimmy is shaking his head. It'll eye roll. <laughs> so that being said, though, the reality is, right, whoever runs for mayor um, in this current cycle, this next cycle, will We'll basically run it we'll, as soon as they win. We'll be running for election, right? Because they'll maybe have one full year as mayor, and then in twenty twenty three, at some point in that year, they'll be running again. You know, for twenty twenty four. Well, one more point for Celia Israel as the only candidate announced so far who's ever had to serve a two year term. So she'll she'll be well versed in what it means to only have twenty four months to get shit done. And let me say, the firm itself isn't taking in. We aren't. This is. <laughs> I have to say, Jim, I have to say it. The, the firm itself, we're not endorsing anyone on this podcast. Um, these are Jimmy's opinions, obviously, but um, it's close to, with the with the current um, representative, but fair point well taken. Look, I'm, I'm friends with Celia. I never served with Kirk, and I did serve with Councilmember Tovo. So, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Celia. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess right now we have five candidates who at least are talking about running. Um, we'll see who comes out of the woodwork as we get closer to, uh, you know, probably this time next well, this time next year, we'll have a clear view for sure. Uh, and then lastly, again, Active News Day, we had the announcement from City Manager Spencer Crunk of the selection of for Interim Chief Joseph Chacon as our new police chief for Austin PD. Yeah, congratulations to Chief Chacon. Also condolences. 
It's a, it's an impossible. <laughs> let's start, let's start with, let's start with the, 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 uh, the latter first. <laughs> well, you know, when you're the when you're a police chief in Texas, what it means is that you have far more independent authority over your department than anyone really understands. State law gives you independent control of your department in a way that's not true in other departments. Um, and, and that was true. And real quick, Jimmy, that was probably that was likely true before 2019 as well. I mean, I think after 2019. That's been, true. that's been true for many years. That's unrelated to the last legislature. Gotcha. Right. What the last legislature did is retained all that power in the chief's office and made it impossible to ever cut that chief's budget. So, so it is a, it's an important job, I would argue, on par with city manager at this point, because it's a budget that effectively only grows over time, legislatively limited to growth over time. And you really have no ability to dictate policy to them. Mm -hmm. it, it becomes this independently funded fiefdom within your city government, which at this point is going to be more, I think, almost 50 percent of the entire tax supported budget is going to be police department. And that's only going to grow over time. Mm -hmm. So, so it's an important gig uh, in a city that has a lot of demands for reform and change and expectations of collaboration and respect from their department. Yeah. And related to that too, I mean, you know, so this now our, now our permit chief did serve on our press chief, Brian Manley, and saw, you know, a lot of, presumably a lot of lessons learned, or at least was a, a close to a lot of the lessons, a lot of the issues that the press chief went through. Do you feel, I mean, do, do, one, did you ever work with, did you ever work in any way or interact with the, our current chief, Chacon? Well, yeah, I mean, in my last year on the council, as folks remember, was the height of the pandemic. It was the height of the Black Lives Matter marches and George Floyd. I was also the chair of the public safety committee for the council. Mm -hmm. So I was right in the thicket of all of this work. Uh, I worked a lot with Chief Manley and a lot of the other assistant chiefs as well. And Chief Chacon is a great guy. It's, there's, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's not that any hesitations around Chief Chacon are pointing to some smoking gun which is a horrible metaphor to be using in this conversation, but it's the, the most it's apt, apt, right? apt. It's apt. Uh, th there are no issues. The, the problem is, is that you can't really know how someone will be chief until you've given them this absolute power as decided in state law. So, you know, I, I think he's, he's been, he was always easy to work with and to communicate with. I also felt that way about his predecessor who I very publicly called to be fired. So it's, it's a challenge. Uh, that I hope Chief Chacon is up to because the opportunity to show the nation that Austin's police department can be one that represents its community and evolves to meet the needs of this moment and the future is, is a challenge that uh, it's, worth, it's worth doing. And I hope Chief Chacon is willing to do it. Well, the APD um, is Prop A, which is coming in November. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And, and, and could you possibly speak to the kind of what this, what it means in terms of the, the practicalities for the city of Austin? Prop, prop A, good Lord. I mean, this, this budget by petition that this creates, where you can now mandate to your future tax rate, this, this minimum standard that is impossible to achieve. So Prop A, to my mind, does 
one very critical thing. It, it mandates staffing levels in the department based on an impossible to measure metric because it doesn't just say two officers per thousand. It also sets a percentage of uncommitted time, uncommitted time. And the problem is uh, having gone on ride-alongs, having seen the data from behind the scenes as chair of the committee, that, that metric is, is so fungible that the department can manipulate it to their own ends. It is not a clearly defined check a box, put it in an Excel spreadsheet type of metric. So what you end up with is a department who through state law is given both independent power through the chief's offer, separate from the council, separate from the manager, and a budget that can never be reduced according to legislative action, who now under Prop A in theory would be able to dictate an unlimited amount of future budget, which if ever implemented could also never be reduced. It, it's just bad policy. It's, it's bad all the way around. And, and it, it does the very thing that police chiefs in other communities, most notably the, the former chief out of Dallas said so clearly is that our communities cannot continue to ask of the police department to do every job nobody else wants to do. Mm -hmm. You can't just keep loading them up with every gig. It's not fair to the officers and you could never possibly train them to be that much of a jack of all trades while carrying weapons. Well, that's exactly what this does. It is a, it is a, a mid midterm, not even long-term midterm plan to have the police department eat up the entire city of Austin budget, which would then make police officers maintaining the parks, checking for your power outages, filling the filling the reservoirs like it just would be it's a farce and i think and i hope that the austin electorate is smart enough to know that that's not how you go we, we shall see november on that one uh all right y'all well this is a you know give a little catch up this we're posting this on friday today is the 22nd of september uh jimmy flanagan is an advisor with bingham group and uh we thank him for his uh his comments and thoughts as always thanks AJ. And, all right that's all we got for today.